Maybe you'll empathize with a few of the folks in this next video. What are you doing? <laughs> How did you put it in there in the first place? I don't know. Do it sideways. Duck? Yes! Yeah! Got his braces stuck to the carpet right now. <laughs> Did you fall in the toilet? You're taking a bath. Take the net off. <laughs> I need some help. I can't get out. Go better way. What happened? I caught. I we caught a human. Oh, did we caught a human? What? How did you get stuck in the? You needed to get the tuna? Well, have you ever felt really stuck? Maybe you can empathize with some of those folks. Have you ever found yourself in a place where it didn't seem to matter how much you heaved and pulled and pushed and tried and there was just nothing you could do to change anything? You were really, truly good and stuck? Well, who'd you call on? What, what did you say? When you think of ways that we can be stuck, a lot of things might come to our mind. Some of us might feel stuck at a crossroads where we have decisions we need to make, but we aren't sure what to do. And it feels like I don't have enough information. I, I don't know what, what, you know, maybe I need to wait longer, but I feel like I'm stuck. I have this big decision to make, but I don't know what to do. Some of us can feel stuck in a loveless marriage where we tried uh, for years to somehow infuse life into things and it seems like nothing works and we can feel really and truly stuck. Some of us feel stuck in financial debt where there's just this mountain of, of money that we would need to somehow be free and maybe we're trapped in, in cycles of, 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 of buying things we don't need or maybe it's the decisions we made a long time ago or maybe it's just life but we've got this financial debt and it feels overwhelming to us and we don't know how to get out of that. We feel stuck. Some of us are stuck in a, a dead-end job where we, we go and the job kind of pays the bills but there's no zip, there's no life there and it can feel like we are stuck. We don't know what to do. Maybe being stuck for you is, is an addictive behavior or, or a pattern, a, a habit, something that you've tried. You've, you've taken seminars. You've, you, you, you've, you've talked to friends. You've, you've gone for counseling. You've, you, you've, you've sworn up and down that you would stop. You, you, you've, you've filled out so many news, new, uh, new Year's resolutions that you've forgotten how many you filled out, but there's, there's something that you keep going back to and you, you hate yourself for it and you feel stuck. It doesn't seem to... No matter what you do, nothing really seems to change. Maybe there's behaviors, uh, patterns of behavior in your life that seem to be destroying 
relationships. Maybe it seems like when anyone seems to get close enough to you to actually make a difference in your life, you pull away. Or you do something to sabotage that relationship. You're not even sure why. But you end up cutting it off in the knees, this person who maybe had loved you or or was trying to get to know you. Maybe you find yourself stuck in a bad business partnership and you are just sweating through sleepless nights because you don't know how to get out of it. Maybe some of us can empathize with being stuck in depression where it doesn't matter if the sun is shining and the birds are back. You live in a, a darkness and it feels like you're stuck. Maybe being stuck for you isn't something particular like that. Maybe, it's, it's, maybe everything is okay and when you look at your life and people look at life, they think you should be happy. You shouldn't feel stuck. You, you've got a family and you, you've got friends and you've got a decent job and, you, and, and yet it feels like you're kind of stuck in no man's land where everything just feels gray and blah and, 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 and there's no zip and you don't feel like you're growing. You don't feel like you're changing. You just feel like you're stuck. Well, the question I have this morning is how do you pray during those times when you feel stuck? What do you say? What do you do? Maybe you're like some of the kids in the, in the video where you just quickly say, Help! Mom! Dad! I'm stuck! Or you just kind of go, Ah! Is there a helpful way for us to pray when we find ourselves good and stuck? Is there a way to pray that actually makes a difference? Well, I think there is. And the next story in Mark's Gospel, as we journey through Mark, that's where we're at, gives us that prayer. In Mark's Gospel, we see Jesus heal a lot of people, right? We've seen him heal blind people. We've seen him heal people who had like bad skin conditions, leprosy. He's healed them. We've, we've seen Jesus um, heal a woman who was hemorrhaging over a decade uh, we've seen Jesus heal uh, lame and, 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 and heal people who couldn't hear and couldn't speak. We, we've seen him drive out demons for people who had had oppressive spiritual darkness. Uh, and, and Jesus drove those demons away and brought life and freedom. We've seen him heal a lot of people. And, and in today's story, we actually come, even though there's six chapters left in Mark, we actually come to the last of the healing stories in Mark's Gospel. Last one. We won't see any more specific healings or, or, um, or the demons being driven out in the Gospel of Mark. This is, the, this is the last one. And there's going to be a shift next week as we actually start a march toward uh, Palm Sunday even as we see Jesus riding in the donkey. But today, uh, here, we come to this last story, the story of a blind man receiving his sight. And I think as we look at the story, we can learn something about how to pray when we're good and stuck. So wherever you might be stuck today, whatever that is for you, personally, or maybe as you reflect that someone in your family, someone that you're close to, whatever that struggle might be, I think we can learn from this man who was blind a path to prayerful freedom. And so let's dig into it together. In your, in your bulletins today, there's an insert and it has the text on it at the, at the top, the story and then actually uh, decided to go crazy today, and there's a fill-in-the-blank uh, for the, for the uh, pattern for prayer that we're going to look at. But let's just read the story, and then, and then we'll dig into it. So, uh, then they, that's Jesus and his disciples, and probably a bit of a larger entourage, they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, 
a large crowd followed him. Just to give you perspective, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, right? And he's been telling his uh, closest associates that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be uh, mistreated, he's going to suffer, he's going to be rejected, he's going to die. And they've had a hard time dealing with that. Um, but that's where he's heading. And Jericho is about 15 miles out of Jerusalem, so he's getting close. In the Gospel of Mark, he spent most of his time up in the northern area of, of Galilee and in and around the lakes there, up the lake. But now he's heading to Jerusalem. That's where he's going. So he's on his way out of Jericho, and a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which Mark helpfully translates as son of Timaeus, because that's all that Bar Timaeus means, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Now, I can't think of a man more stuck than blind Bartimaeus. He's, he's completely blind. He, he's reduced to daily begging, hoping to get just enough to make it through the day. He would have been ignored or, or looked down upon, perhaps sometimes with pity as people would toss him some change, but more often than not, with judgment. Because he lived among a people who had the worldview that said, when you're blind like that, or when you're lame like that, or when you've got a skin condition like that, it's because you sinned. Oh, well, okay, maybe you didn't sin, but your mom and dad must have. You're just getting the just rewards of your personal sin. Now, Jesus undercuts that whole theology over in another gospel, Gospel of John, chapter 9. But here, just to get a picture, this is blind Bartimaeus. This is the world he would have lived in, where people would have looked down on him, and as a result of his condition, he would have been unable to fully participate in the worship of God in the temple. He probably would not have married. He was not able to function in society to live as a full human being, a full participant in the life of Israel. If anyone was good and stuck, it was blind Barty. And yet, Mark intentionally, as he writes his story, he wants us to see this man as a model for prayer. Maybe even a model for discipleship. And as I reflected on this story, a pattern sort of emerged, a pattern for prayer. And I hope that as we walk through the story, we're going to see some ways of praying in those times when we, like blind Bartimaeus, are good and stuck. So let's dig into it. Pull out your built-in insert if you like. You might want to fill fill in the words for this. A pattern for prayer from a beggar who's blind. That's what we're going to look through today, asking the question, how do we pray? We're just going to go through the story. The first thing we see 
is that we acknowledge the reality of our need. In other words, we pray to Jesus honestly. We pray honestly. I think it starts here. Sometimes, for many of us, it's hard to just finally admit that we're stuck. To admit that we just can't do anything to change what's going on. We want to blame others for our condition or our struggles. We, we make excuses. We try to shift ownership. Or we just try to ignore reality. We think that if we just would just try something else or, or just work a little harder or just wait a little longer that somehow something will eventually shift. And we don't necessarily want to admit that we're good and stuck and that we're helpless to make that change in our lives. But there comes a point where we turn our eyes to Jesus and we get really honest and say, you know what? I am stuck. I cannot make the change that's needed in my life. I need you. I think that's our first step in prayer. First step of any kind of prayer, but particularly as we think about being stuck, is that we first admit that we really and truly need Jesus' help. Blind Bartimaeus knew his need. It was pretty clear. Anyone looking at him knew he had a problem that needed to be fixed. Even a problem that he had no power over. But can we admit that we actually need the help of Jesus to intervene in our lives, to help us overcome that addiction? Or to change the the cycles of spending in our lives so that we can get out of that debt that we're in? We pray to Jesus honestly. The second thing that emerges from this this story is that we pray to Jesus trustingly. Now, trustingly here, what I mean by that is that when we pray to Jesus, we pray to him as the only hope for our salvation. When I say salvation here, I don't just mean sort of for the afterlife, as it were. I'm talking about the fact that it's only Jesus who can save us body, soul, life, relationships, the whole gamut. It's only Him that can make the true difference in our lives. So we pray to Him trustingly. You know, old Bartimaeus, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, that's a region up in the north, was coming by, what did he do? He cried out, listen to these words, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, you've got to kind of dig a little bit deeper to understand what he's actually saying. Because he's saying something very particular here. This blind man sitting by this gate in Jericho, a long way from where Jesus was doing his main ministry, when he heard about Jesus, it's like this man whose physical eyes weren't working, it's like his spiritual eyes were more acute. And we know that that can be true when people have physical blindness, that their other senses are more in line, right? They can hear better and all that. But it's like for him, his physical blindness had not hindered him from seeing what all those around him who had perfectly good eyesight were missing when they looked at Jesus. Because when, when Bartimaeus called Jesus the son of David, he was making a connection between Jesus and the promised Messiah. In fact, it's very interesting He's making the same exact connection that Peter made when he made his great confession, when he said, you are the Messiah. It's kind of a high point in the book of Mark where Peter finally acknowledges, you are it, you're the Messiah. Blind Bartimaeus is making the exact same connection when he says, son 
of David. It was a messianic title. And he's looking at Jesus and saying, you are the promised deliverer that was come. And they're the only two guys in the entire gospel who get that explicit connection, who make the connection that Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't that fascinating? This blind guy and Peter understand who Jesus is, at least in part. So here's the point. When Bartimaeus was crying out to Jesus, he was not just calling some great man or some magnificent healer to come and make a difference in his life. He was actually declaring his faith, his trust, his belief in the identity of Jesus as the only hope for true deliverance. As the one who had come to make all the difference that mattered for total salvation. Now, he may not have understood fully what that meant. I don't think any of them really did. But he was heading in the right direction when he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. Well, what does that teach us about prayer? Well, we're stuck. We need to fix our attention on Jesus, trustingly, knowing who he is knowing that He is the only one that we can place our hope in and not be disappointed. He's the only hope for our salvation, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational. We pray knowing that if this Jesus does not come through for us, we're doomed. Total trust in the person of Jesus. Next thing, we cry out for His mercy. And I think this means we pray to Jesus Boldly. We pray to Jesus boldly. You know, the next part of the sort of the second half of Bartimaeus' prayer was, Have mercy on me. And this is the cry of so many of the Psalms. I asked Crystal to read Psalm 13, and, and there's just many more Psalms like it, where it captures the heart of people who feel really stuck. And the Psalms are a great place, a great prayer book. They've been the prayer book of the church and, and the people of God for thousands of years. And through the prayer book of the Psalms, we're able to articulate these prayers, of, especially in those times when we're really stuck. God, come and help me. My enemies are surrounding me. I can't do anything to make a change in my life. But it gives us the boldness to pray. Have mercy on me. Come and make a difference. Can't you see what's going on? We don't only, we don't only have the boldness from the Psalms, but we're promised later in the book of Hebrews that we can come to God through Jesus boldly because Jesus has made it all possible for us to access the Father in prayer. And here we see Bartimaeus praying with this boldness. Jesus, Son of David, he's shouting over the crowd, have mercy on me. And this prayer of Bartimaeus has actually been dubbed through Christian history as the Jesus Prayer. And I've got to tell you, it's a prayer that many Christians have found comforted, and especially in those times when they're really stuck, to just pray that prayer, simple prayer, over and over again. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's called the Jesus Prayer, and it's something you can incorporate into your life to boldly pray for the mercy of God to be applied to your life and to your situation. Well, the fourth thing that we can glean, I think, from this story is that we don't give up when others discourage us. Or, I thought of it as, we pray to Jesus courageously. You know, a lot of people yelled at this guy, tried to shut him down, right? It was an annoyance to them. I mean, come on, man. Jesus has got better things to do, right? And he's just shouting over the crowd and they're trying to shut him down. I think, as a beggar, 
he had learned to push through that kind of nonsense, right? He had learned how to make his voice heard in the crowd. And he probably spent a lot of days of his life being told to shut up, get out of the way, move, right? But when Jesus was passing by, he was not going to take no for an answer. He kept shouting. I love the part in the story where it says he shouted out all the louder, you know? He only, you know, lifted his voice so that everyone could hear him. He started to make a scene. You know, there might be times in our lives where we've prayed, particularly some of those areas where we feel really stuck, where we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed, and we may have had people in our lives say, why don't you just give up? I mean, seriously. You know, do you really think anything's going to change? Or maybe, maybe it's not an external voice, like maybe the people around us haven't said that, but inside of us we hear the voice that says, give up already. He's not hearing you. Stop shouting. Accept that place in life and just, you know, don't expect God to do anything. And I love the courage of Bartimaeus who says, I'm not listening to that voice. I'm not going to let them shut me down. I'm going to shout all the louder. I'm going to pray to Jesus courageously. And, 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 and what, I, what I thought in here is how, in light of everything all, we've already read, is that the courage of his prayer was rooted in the fact that he knew who Jesus was. Like he knew who he was shouting to. And all of Mark so far has given us this beautiful picture of Jesus who is truly and deeply like, um, like no one else. He is good. And he always uses his power to enact goodness in people's lives, to bring healing and restoration and peace. And he had heard all those stories. And so he knew that he could have courage because the one he was shouting to could hear his prayer. And make a change. That courage came out of the character of Jesus, and he was confident in that. The fifth thing that emerges in this pattern is that we throw away whatever holds us back. And this is a little bit of a more subtle part of the story, but every one of the commentators I read made a big deal about it. We pray to Jesus unreservedly. Unreservedly. When Bartimaeus was told to cheer up, that Jesus was calling him, he got up and the story says he threw away his coat or his cloak. He tossed it aside and he came, jumped up and came to Jesus. If you can get the image in your mind here, Bartimaeus sitting on the ground would have had in front of him his cloak spread out to catch what? The change, right? And on this cloak on the ground would have kind of given him a little bit of space and he would have been able to find the coins that would have been dropped as a blind man. This cloak represented his current reality, his way of life. It was kind of his bread and butter. It was his working space. It was his stall, you know. It says that when he heard Jesus calling him, he jumped up and he threw it away and he came to Jesus. And there's something in that act of faith where he says, I'm leaving it all behind. My old way of life is done. And I'm coming to Jesus. And the leaving of that cloak behind represents that statement. When we pray to Jesus, and this is hard because we want to hedge our bets. We want to, we want to hold back. We want to make sure that we're not like, almost like we're not trusting Jesus that much. But what we see in this is a challenge to pray to Jesus with no reservations. That when he calls us to come, when he calls us to follow, 
that we leave behind the patterns of the blind and we embrace this new thing that Jesus is doing in us, this new relationship he's calling us into with him. And there's actually a contrast here between the rich young ruler who was also called to follow Jesus, but, but why couldn't he? Because he had too much to give up. His wealth got him stuck in a different way. He, he couldn't leave it all behind and come with Jesus because that was too painful. But for this blind guy, man, he knew his life sucked. And he was just like, I'm thrilled to get rid of it because I'm coming to Jesus. And, and it didn't stand in his way. But it also represents this faith step. When you're coming to Jesus, when you're good and stuck, don't hold anything back. Play, pray to Jesus unreservedly. Jump up, leave it all behind to be willing to follow. Number six, we ask Jesus for what we truly need, or I thought of it as we pray to Jesus simply. We pray to Jesus simply. Jesus says to this man, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, where do we hear this question before? Exactly, verbatim. Anyone? Yeah, just in the previous story. James and John came to Jesus right after he had told them for the third time he was going to go and die. And they said, teacher, remember their request? We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says the exact same question, asks the exact same question as he does now to blind Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And these two stories are side by side, which the writer, Mark, intends us to see them as a contrast. That's one of the ways we read the Bible. We look at these kind of compare and contrast questions. So James and John, they ask for a position of glory. But Bartimaeus simply asks for sight. That's quite a contrast. And I think we see in here all the different kinds of prayers that Jesus, I'm sure, receives on a daily basis. But the kind of prayers that Jesus loves to respond to Prayers that express our need for his goodness, not our need to achieve greatness. And I think there's times in our lives where we have to really examine what are my motives? Like, what am I praying for here? And as we watch him very simply state, this is my need. There's a big difference between Jesus, give glory to me, and Jesus, I want to see. There's a huge difference between those two prayers. Now, We're going to see in a moment. Jesus responded to both of them, you understand. He answered both of them. But in this particular story, particular point where we see this blind Bartimaeus asking, there's such a simplicity to his response. I know I'm stuck, and here's what I need. So when we're good and stuck, I think we're invited to just pray to Jesus simply. This is what I need, Jesus. We don't need to dress it up in spiritual language. We don't need to use some kind of special formula. When he cried out, have mercy, what he was saying is, I need to see. I need to see. And Jesus responded. And the seventh one is that we come to Jesus in faith. Or, And I know I'm bending the rules, but, you know, preachers do this every once in a while. Pray to Jesus faithfully. Full of faith is really what it should say, but that wouldn't have worked. There wouldn't have been L-Ys at the end of everything. We come to Jesus and we pray faithfully. When Jesus healed Bartimaeus, he affirmed his faith. You know, Bartimaeus, when he was crying out, he was filled with faith. 
Even when the crowd was shutting him down, he was filled with faith. And when he jumped up and tossed his coat aside, he was full of faith. And he asked Jesus full of faith. Not faith, and this is so important, not faith as a formula, not faith as a, as a, as a doctrine, not faith as even a state of mind, but faith in a person, an expression of his trust in Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah. Faith in a person. And it's this faith in Jesus himself that Jesus affirms. He says, your faith has saved you. Your trust in me has made the difference, has yielded the fruit. Your willingness to place your hope in me is the reason why you've received your sight. So we pray full of faith, not full of trust in our own understanding, not full of faith in our own methods or some technique of prayer, but full of faith in Jesus, our lover and our friend and our deliverer, our healer, our king. We pray filled with a trust and a faith that Jesus truly loves us. But he loves us and he longs to pour his goodness into our lives. Number eight, we pray to Jesus openly. In other words, we receive whatever Jesus gives us. I think we need to be willing to receive whatever Jesus has for us when we come to him in prayer, even if the answer is not what we thought we needed. There's something dynamic that goes on as we pray, as we interact with Jesus in our lives. And again, the contrast between James and John's prayer and Blind Barty's prayer is helpful. Jesus answered both of their prayers, you understand. To James and John's prayer, Jesus said, no, you do not know what you're asking for. But that was an answer, you understand. It may not have been the answer they wanted, but it was the answer. And it was the best answer for them. But to Bartimaeus, Jesus said, yes, go, your faith has healed you. We can't come to Jesus trustingly and simply and openly and courageously and all the things we've talked about, demanding that he answer in the precise way that we want him to. That's not trusting prayer. That's just making demands. We pray to Jesus openly. Trusting that in spite of what we think we need, Jesus is the one who really and truly knows what we need in our lives. He is the one who loves us and understands us and sees the big picture. He knows how God's at work in our situation. He knows how God's at work in our lives and in our character. He is the one who knows and so we ask boldly and we ask courageously and we ask simply, but at the end of the day, we ask open to what Jesus is going to say. He may say yes to us. He might say no. He might say, you need to wait. And these are all answers from Jesus. They're all answered prayer. Though maybe not always the answer we wanted. We need to pray open to what he gives because we trust him. And he loves us. The ninth thing I think that we can learn from this story, and it's the last one, is that we follow Jesus along the way, or we pray to Jesus responsively. You know, the, the prayer of Bartimaeus and his healing results in discipleship, further discipleship in his life. The last thing we see in this story is that Bartimaeus, now can see, leaves his old life behind, and he follows Jesus down the road. He joins Jesus on the way. On the way where? On the way to Jerusalem, where Jesus has said very explicitly, he's going 
to suffer rejection and die. That's where he's following Jesus. Jesus, this Messiah that Bartimaeus has, has seen, that very few of other people have seen, he is now going to go along with Jesus and he will truly see with his eyes and his heart what it really means that Jesus is the Messiah, what Jesus is the Son of David. He will see Jesus for all he is as he is rejected, as he suffers, as he is whipped and mocked and flogged and spit upon and nailed to a tree. He's going to see it because he has followed Jesus. When we pray to Jesus, we need to pray responsively. We pray as a people who are ready to go. We've had no reservations. And we come to him and we say, Jesus, we need you to make a change in our lives. We need you to respond. I need you to change my heart. I need, I need you to, to do something. But we pray ready to respond to what Jesus is saying to us. Ready to move, to join him on the way. Ready to continue to follow him on the road that he is traveling. And even as He heals us, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, even as He makes those changes in our, in our lives, His response to our deepest prayer, our deepest longing, in and of itself is a call to further discipleship. So, there are the nine things. A pattern for prayer from a beggar who's blind. And Mark wants us to see this man in this last healing story as kind of an unlikely example to emulate, but a, a model nonetheless, a model for prayer and a model for discipleship. So I want to ask you this morning, as you look at these things, this pattern, what about this pattern or what about this story challenges you? Or perhaps what about this story encourages you as, as you consider prayer, particularly in those times when you feel very stuck? Do you have any questions or comments you'd like to make? I'm going to ask Roger if he would head around with a microphone. Um, and that microphone is so not only so that we can hear you, but for the increasing number of people who download the uh, messages and listen to them throughout the week, so they can also hear your question and not just the uh, response to it. So does anyone have anything you'd like to add? Uh, ways that this pattern for prayer encourages you or challenges you or things you'd like to just uh, contribute to the conversation? Anyone? I got a drink while you're thinking. I really like the way that um, the idea of the coat and him being thrown away, and it could have been that there was coins in there. It could have been that his livelihood was already being given to him that day, and yet even with that, he chucked it, and it did never say he went back for it. And I like the idea where he, you know. He goes into something new, knowing that he could have had something, but he sees he just sees Jesus, pursues it, and it's such a wonderful picture of of the change of mind when we come out of something. Oftentimes, we allow it to identify us, and he didn't allow his blindness at that point. He chose to leave it and not ever be identified with it again. And I love that picture of when Jesus calls us out of, he gives us that new identity, that new purpose, that new calling. Thanks, Brooke. That's excellent. Anyone else? Karen. Yes. 
sometimes uh, we do, we don't know what to pray. We don't know. Uh, we really don't know what our needs are. Yeah. And so then that you know to pray honestly. Um, I guess we could pray, saying that we don't know what our needs are. Yep. But. Um, yeah. so Thank you for that, Karen. I, and I think you're, you're, you're absolutely correct, especially when the, in those times when we're good and stuck and we feel like we've, we've prayed before, like a thousand times. We can feel like, I don't even know what to pray anymore. I think two things. One is, I actually think this Jesus prayer can be a helpful and faithful prayer to pray. Because it's very simple. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And, and it's sort of throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus and saying, you know. And so that's why I think Christians have prayed this prayer as an act of faithfulness. But the, the second thing I want to highlight is in Romans chapter 8, we're told that in those times when we don't know how to pray, we have someone praying from within us on our behalf. And let me just remind us of that verse in um, Romans 8. I've got to find it. Here it is. Uh, 8.26. In the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Right? There's so many times we have no idea what to pray. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans or inarticulate groaning. For He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And I take such comfort in that. At those times when I just don't know what to pray, I can with confidence know that the Spirit knows exactly. And He can take that inarticulate, that blob of feeling or emotion or numbness, and the Spirit can intercede for us and for the people in our lives in a perfect, beautiful way. And we can have confidence in that. And I think between those two things, we acknowledge the times we just don't know what to pray, but it doesn't mean we can't continue to pray because we have two intercessors. We have the Spirit interceding for us from within, and we have Jesus at the right hand of God forever making intercession for us. We can read that in the book of Hebrews. But we have two on our side, as it were, and boy, oh boy, uh, that means our prayers are being prayed. Isn't that beautiful? Anyone else like to... Uh, Joanne, over here, Roger. I remember a book that both Drew read it first, and then I read it after, and it was the story of Terry Waite, who was a lay leader in the Anglican Church in Britain, and he was taken... Um, by some folks in Lebanon and kept in solitary confinement in terrible, terrible conditions for five years. And Drew finished the book and had told me about it and said, you should read it now because he never prayed for release. He never prayed to escape. Or, and I was stunned that that would not be his prayer. He prayed the Jesus prayer. He prayed the common book of prayer, which he had memorized, which is a real encouragement to memorize those parts of Scripture when we just don't know what to say. And he prayed for each day for him to be able to bless his captors. And it was a stunning story. And, you know, through that time, they gave him a Bible. They prayed with him like it was an amazing story. And I think when we read those true stories of of these people who are ahead of us, we can see such encouragement as well. 
but for him to not pr- to pray for release, but to pray in absolute trust that God would be with him every day it was just so stunning. What's the title of that book? People might want to you know, say it in the microphone. Well, take, Taken you, on Trust. Taken on Trust, and it's at the library. By Terry Waite. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Anyone else like to add, add to the conversation? Great. Thank you, Roger. Thank you for contributing to that. I'd like to ask you today, as we, as we finish, uh, the question of where are you stuck? Where are you stuck in life? What is it that is rolling through your mind and heart today as you think about being good and stuck? Is it something physical? Is it something relational? Is it, is it debt or is it an addiction? or What is it for you? And I want to ask you to identify that area in your mind, to identify it. And th- this is important for some of us. We have never actually asked that question. Where am I stuck? And I think in order to even begin to pray, we need to be able to acknowledge the reality that we are stuck. So what area is it in your life? And I encourage you to lock that in your mind or maybe even write it down on, on, on that bulletin insert and write it in code if you want it to keep, keep it private. But as a way of expressing, this is the area of my life that I really feel good and stuck. And I, I need you, Jesus, to intervene. I need you to step in. I need you to speak. I need you to heal. I need you to change. And, and then as you look, uh, secondly, as you look at this pattern, and maybe pattern's not the right word for it, but... This, the prayer of this once blind man, is there a particular aspect to this uh, that is most challenging for you? Like maybe, it's, maybe it's praying courageously, or maybe it's praying openly, maybe it's praying honestly. I don't know what it is, but what is it out of these nine options, I guess, that, that is mostly uh, is, is, is the most challenging for you to be able to identify that because that, that might be where the Spirit is calling you to really step in and say, you know what? I realize that I, I'm holding back a lot from Jesus when I pray. And so, Jesus, you're asking me to pray without reservation, to come to you unreservedly and be ready for whatever you have for me. Whatever it is, be able to identify what is it about these nine options that most challenges me. And what I want to encourage you to do in in closing as a way of applying this to our lives is would you take this story or this prayer, maybe just the Jesus prayer, especially if you find yourself in a place today where you say, you know what, if I were really honest with myself, I was really honest with the people around me, I can tell you I am good and stuck. Would you for the next two weeks pray the Jesus prayer and pray it in this way? Pray it honestly and trustingly. Pray it boldly and courageously. Pray it unreservedly. Pray it simply and faithfully and openly and responsively. Pray that Jesus prayer daily. And I want to I ask that you would accept that challenge. Just, just in the silence of your heart to say, you know what, for two weeks, I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to pray it daily. I'm going to pray it multiple times a day. The great thing about the Jesus prayer is that you all have it memorized already. Right? It's short. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. We all got it. It's a prayer you can pray in a nanosecond throughout the day. But would you, for the next two weeks, take this prayer 
and this attitude of prayer. And pray it in faith as you pray to Jesus. You know, Jesus is the good king. And that's what's come through for us in Mark. And Jesus longs for us to experience his goodness in our lives. And I want to ask you today as we close, what is it in your life that if it could shift, if it could change, what is it in your life if Jesus could touch you there, if he could move this, what is it that would open you up to be responsive to him, would open you up to all that he's doing in your life, would, would make the difference? What is it? And see and ask, Jesus, are you wanting to step into that area in my life? Begin to imagine the change that Jesus longs to do in your life. It may not change the situation you're in. There's other people involved, and that doesn't always change. We understand that. But in your own heart, what kind of change would Jesus make in my life this week, these next couple of weeks, that would would really make a difference in my experience of God and my following of Jesus? I want you to see that Jesus longs for you to speak to him, to pray to him. And he longs for you to experience his goodness and his love and his healing. That is what he wants for you. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good king. And even though you were on your way to Jerusalem to suffer and to die, you stopped. You stopped to answer the prayer of this man that everyone else was not only ignoring, but frankly wanted to just push him aside, get him to quiet down, get him to shut up. You heard his prayer, which means, Jesus, you hear our prayer. You are the faithful lover, the faithful healer. And you are here today and longing to respond to our deepest prayer. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would, in faith, simply say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, Son of David, Have mercy on me. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayer and responding with grace and with healing. In your name we pray. Amen. Our team is going to come and lead us again in the singing of that simple a cappella, beautiful song, Hear Our Prayer. And I'd like to invite you to sing that as a response uh, to this message today. And I just want to offer, if you would like to receive prayer today, um, I'll wait over there. No pressure. But if you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, go ahead, come on up, and uh, I'll be happy to pray with you today. Let's sing this together.